0: Oh, let's get it. Monday, February 1st, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you had a great week outside of podcast land. The time, The time on leave kind of threw me off. My So we're we're throwing in a rewind this week, but as you'll hear, we've got a great episode from the archives to bring to you on this first day of African-American History Month. I also heard some feedback from you since last week. Uh, We received a few ratings this week, as well as one review. This one is from Staff Sergeant Andy Brown. It says five stars, informative and entertaining, an outstanding resource for veteran-specific information, but also a diverse collection of interviews where guests share their personal stories. Relatable and entertaining to veterans and civilians alike. Staff Sergeant Brown, thank you for the review and for letting others know what you personally have gotten out of the podcast. If you're down with Staff Sergeant Brown's review, go ahead and smash that subscribe button on your podcatcher of choice. Catch us every week and please consider leaving a rating and or review on Apple podcasts. In doing so, you'll either be letting me know what you'd like to hear out of the podcast and you'll be helping push this podcast up higher in the algorithms giving more veterans the chance to catch the information provided not only in the interviews but in the benefits breakdown episodes and in the news releases. As for news releases, we have a couple this week, you know, personnel positions within VA. There's one that deals with the acting current leaders during the transition. Most notably, Mr. Dat Pete Tran is our acting secretary. While the Biden administration has appointed some other positions within VA that do not require congressional approval. Two of those are actually in my office. One is our new assistant secretary of public and intergovernmental affairs, Ms. Kayla Williams, and our new VA press secretary, Terrence Hayes. Both are former guests of Born the Battle. If you want to learn more about them, Kayla has her episode in episode seven, way back in the podcast history when this was still called This Week at VA. And Terrence is 199 episodes later at episode 206. Both, Again, both are veterans. And we welcome them to the team. Okay, we got a couple other news releases. First one says, for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs healthcare facilities will begin offering COVID-19 testing and vaccinations for designated family caregivers of veterans participating in the Program of Comprehensive Assistance for Family Caregivers, otherwise known as PCAFC. The testing and vaccines will be administered in line with CDC allocation guidelines and will be allocated based on the Veteran Health Administration's COVID-19 Vaccination Plan, which is available at publichealth.va.gov. For more information, you can visit VA's Caregiver Support Program at www.caregiver.va.gov. You can contact your local facility's VA Caregiver Support Coordinator or call the Caregiver Support Line at 1-855-260-3274, Monday through Friday 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., and Saturday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., both are Eastern Standard Time. Okay, next one says, for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently flew doses of the Moderna vaccine to the Montana VA healthcare system as part of a new pilot program providing vaccines to veterans living in rural parts of the country. Chosen as the initial site for the pilot, the Montana VA healthcare system provided 240 veterans in Harve, Harvey, Montana, with the vaccine. Montana was selected due to its size and rural-ility. Rural-ility, you know, that's not a word that should be in a broadcast, honestly. My broadcast professor back in the day told me, don't use words in a broadcast or don't use words in a news release that rest of America doesn't use. If, if it's a fire, call it a fire. Don't call it a blaze. Let's keep rural-ility the blaze category. Uh, Montana was selected due to its size and rural environment. Okay, how about that? There done. I digress. It is the country's fourth largest state and its mountainous terrain makes it difficult for driving conditions during the winter. This offers veterans enrolled in VA healthcare living in Harvey Harve like it's, it's spelled like farve but with an H Harve. The opportunity to receive the vaccine. VA's goal is to offer COVID-19 vaccinations to all veterans and employees who elect to be vaccinated. As vaccine supplies increase, VA care teams will reach out to eligible veterans to schedule vaccinations. Veterans and their caregivers can get the latest information and signed up to receive updates on VA's COVID-19 vaccine webpage at www.va.gov forward slash health hyphen care forward slash COVID 19 hyphen vaccine forward slash stay hyphen informed. Okay. And the last one says for immediate release, the U S department of veterans affairs recently approved 12 VA medical centers as new priority sites for future Fisher houses to keep veterans and loved ones together during medical care. These homes provide short-term accommodations for families and caregivers of hospitalized active duty or retired or retired military members and veterans who do not live within commuting distance of a hospital. Upon completion of a Fisher House, VA or DOD assumes responsibility for their operation, maintenance, upkeep, and staffing. In 2019 and 2020, VA Fisher Houses accommodated more than 47,000 families, saving guests more than $32 million in lodging expenses. Approved Fisher House sites located in the U.S. include the Atlanta VA Healthcare System, the Carl Vincent VA Medical Center, Central Arkansas Veterans Healthcare System, Durham VA Healthcare System, Fargo VA Healthcare System, Fayetteville Coastal Healthcare System, Iowa City VA Healthcare System, Memphis VA Healthcare System, Oklahoma City VA Healthcare System, Phoenix VA Healthcare System, Palo Alto's VA Healthcare System, and the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital. Individuals may request Fisher House accommodations by contacting the Fisher House directly or through their VA assigned social worker. All right, so in addition to the holidays, I had to take a week of leave to attend to some business. I'm back, but in order to keep my intern sanity in check, I've decided to run a Born the Battle Rewind on this first day of February. And in honor of African American History Month, I've decided on going way back to episode 22 with Navy veteran Deborah Russell. Back then, this podcast was called This Week at VA, So I still applaud Tim for making the name change for the podcast. I chose her story because when I listened to her, I was amazed on how open she was about her military experience, the struggles during that experience and afterwards, and how she was at the time of the interview in the midst of overcoming her challenges. And she was very open about it. And it was interesting to hear what VA services she was using and had used to help her in her post-military journey. Plus, she's a visual artist, and when it comes so when it comes to my background, that's always a plus. She's had an incredible journey. So without further ado, here is Navy veteran Deborah Russell. Enjoy.
1: We're here with Deborah Russell, a Navy veteran who uh, is one of the 10 artists, a part of the uh, Women Veterans Art Exhibit sponsored by the Center uh, for Women Veterans. Deborah, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, glad to be here. Uh, so, Deborah, we're going to start this interview with the same way we start all our interviews. One thing that we all have in common is the decision to join the United States military. You uh, joined the Navy. Bring us back to that day for you. Why did you decide to join?
2: Well, I was in school as a single parent, I had a son and I was, um, working two jobs and trying to go to college to get a better job. And I got recruited from the bank. I was working at, at the time, uh, by a Navy recruiter with the enticement of paying for my education <laughs> and I needed the money. I needed the medical benefits as well. So that's why. And what what year was that? That was in 1983. 1983. I actually signed up in '83, and you know when you're in college, you wait till the uh, summer of the go to go off to boot camp. Yeah. Well, that's what I
1: did very well I'm not going to tell you that I wasn't born yet, but um <laughs> uh, so nineteen eighty three um, that was a uh, relatively peaceful time and um, for america's military uh what was um what was your experience like can you is there an experience you had during your service that sort of sums up um, your your tour
2: well I started out um doing supply, basic supply. And the way they did me, they did like an own hands type deal where I took the skills, which was my skills was in money and banking and they took it and transferred it over to logistics. And um, so I started out doing just basic jobs and I worked myself up to working on the admiral, four-star admiral staff. And uh, I think that was like the hike of my Whole career because um, it was a great job uh, working in New Orleans at the uh, headquarters for the four-star admirals.
1: How long were you in from eighty-three to when?
2: I actually my duty time starts eighty-four to ninety-seven. Eighty-four ninety-seven. Okay, that's yeah. Uh, I find out in a delayed entry program. Right. Yes. Okay. What
1: what prompted the decision to get out?
2: If I had a choice, I never would have gotten out. Um, I was running one morning, uh, about 5 a.m. And the female, we were running in formation, female in front of me, tripped and fell. And I just rolled over and messed my shoulders and my knees up. And, um, I got med boarded. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, unfortunately that really got to me and, um, um right around the same time, I wind up getting um, sexually assaulted. And so all of that com- combined, I was um, uh, medically discharged.
1: If you're uncomfortable with talking about that uh, part of your uh, service, I understand. But did you have an opportunity to report what happened to you before you were med boarded?
2: Well, the person had threatened me because it was a superior. And they had threatened me that if I told that they were going to make it look like it was my fault, And um, at the time, some other females had been um, raped as well. And I was seeing what they were going through, uh, how the media and the courts and how the people were saying, well, it was your fault or what did you do? And and I really didn't want to go through that humiliation. Uh, I was already feeling uh, self-worthlessness and I just really um, had to deal with it. I internalized it. I even went to work and had to hear him say stuff like, um, well, you know, it was your fault if you hadn't had those tight pants on, if this, it, you know, and he he made it all my fault. I didn't want to fight with him because I was th- want to be through with it. I wanted it to be over. Yeah. And so I kind of uh, blocked it for some years. Uh, I went through counseling right after then, and I continue to go through counseling for it because it's something that you f- try to forget, but it, it still, you know, resonates. So it pops up.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, a question that I like to ask veterans, um, simply because I feel like so many. Uh, so many veterans can resonate with this, and I'm sure there's plenty of uh, both men and women that can empathize with uh, with your experience. When you, after you transitioned, did you um, did you experience any sort of emotional crisis?
2: Yeah, I really did. I went all the way down. I went um, into a mental hospital over at um, Gulfport, Mississippi, and part of my problem was. Um, I just really couldn't deal with it at that point. It, you know, being medically discharged and all of that going on at the same time, it was very hard for me. Yeah. So I I had a complete meltdown to be honest with you. And um you know, it, it just happened.
1: Yeah. Um one thing that a lot of veterans uh struggle to do after they transition is uh finding that renewed sense of purpose. Um, was that a challenge that you had as well?
2: I had that challenge for years. Um, For years, I found myself just kind of um, laying around doing nothing in the bed in pain. Um, And for years, I was on pain meds, and the pain meds was actually killing me, and I didn't know it. Um, and I found that with the pain meds, I would sleep all day because I had a lot of headaches as well. <clears throat> and I would sleep all, days upon days upon days. I would just sleep. And so some years passed, and one day I said to myself, out of all this knowledge that you have, um, what is this worth? You know, I went wind up going through some paperwork and looking at my skills and looking at who I was before this and <clears throat> excuse me. And I realized that everything I had done and all of that I had prepared for and all the college and all the school was nothing. And so I felt like, a uh, worthless in a, in a, in a sense. And so, um, still continue to go through counseling, um, and I am talking to my counselor a little bit, trying to be very honest with him. He said to me, you know, you tend to um, take care of everybody else, you know, and not yourself. And he had heard me say I wanted to, um, I eventually had wanted to get a master's degree. And um, he said to me, uh, why don't you do something about that? Well, it was after 10 years then. So... You know, there was no money available for, for that, for rehab, because I was past that point. So um, I just pushed it last year. I I was starting to go backwards, and so one of the things I did for myself was to go over there to that college and see what I could get in to try to get a bachelor's and a master's, and I applied for a scholarship, and luckily i got it for that semester and so i just started back to school and and going to school is it's a twofold purpose for me one purpose is to get out of the house to do something to increase my self esteem the other purpose was um well i guess that's the whole thing to try to do something besides just staying in the bed staying in the house and just and at a dead end and try to change that. So I'm back in school. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm not struggling. I'm still struggling. I mean, God, I, I said to myself, Why did you do this? You so <laughs> um and one of the things that also helped me was I got into some um female veteran trauma group. I got in a veteran female trauma group and um I shared things that I, I guess I stuffed for years. Um, I shared those things and I was, and I was surprised. I wind up getting picked up for the telling project. You heard of that?
1: Yeah, I've heard of the telling project. Yeah.
2: Okay. I wind up getting picked up for that. And so when, um, Max wrote my, did my interview and, um, you know, you, you, you on the, on the camera, and you're really just answering questions like I am now. Well, he pulled out some points that I had told him about the uh, sexual trauma and stuff like that. And he wrote the story based on that. And um, for like 90 days, we was drill, 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 you know, telling our story. And one thing I had to realize in that was I never told my family about that so even my mother, my son and I would say well you never told us anything about you being sexually traumatized well it was something that I really had stuffed I wanted to forget it so it was a part of my mind I was blocking out because I really didn't want to go there so talking to other female who had also gone through the same thing kind of helped me to want to help somebody else maybe that had gone through that. And so um, going to the veteran um, female group and the other thing was going to the veteran's photography group. When I first got out, I went to school for photography, but I wound up realizing that because of my sicknesses and stuff, I really couldn't set appointments. So... Um, but with this veterans photography group, I had a chance to go back and look at some of the pictures that I had taken. And, you know, they would say, go in and look and see, can you find some kind of picture when you come next week? You know, bring some pictures. And I started going through pictures, and then we started sending them to different, um, places. And I won. I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally shocked. I uh, got into a women's art show, um, last year and it was the first time that I had displayed some of my art and it really made me feel like I was somebody again. Um, you know, because it was a whole new venture, you know, so, um, sending to the, um, this particular art show was my second time to put some of my stuff in something and it, and it won. And I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) I'm still shocked about that, but okay. It gave me a sense of pride. It kind of renewed something in me, you know, that had been kind of just put aside. And, um, so that's, that's, kind of my story
1: with that. Let's talk about the um, about the, the women's art exhibit that's going on now. Um, I'll have a picture of your uh, piece in the show notes to this podcast, but for the audience listening right now, can you just sort of describe what your piece is?
2: I have one piece in there. Um, I have a female dance, and maybe that's the one you have. Yep. Um, in the red dress? And yes, yeah um I had got invited to take some pictures at our um a production called Our Voices of Many and um for some reason i got i had my camera stuck on this female who was dancing. matter of fact, that's just one of her pictures. I kind of enjoy seeing the twirls and and I just laid on the shuttle ta da ta Anyway, um, that piece to me, the way she's stretching her hands out, it's like she's reaching toward God. And so I always refer to that as um, uh, part of me because I was reaching out, like, for help and reaching out for something. And so it's like God took my hand, you know, uh, in the midst of all of the troubles I was going through, and kind of just pull me up, so that piece kind of represent um, my coming up out of my uh, troubles, as if you could say. Sure.
1: What um. <clears throat> what sort of things inspire your photography uh, in general? Do you often look for movement, like in this dancer, or what usually attracts you?
2: I, li- I like movement, but I also enjoy landscapes hmm. uh, very much. Living in, in Pensacola, um, you have a lot of water, and, you know, living in this area, most of the time you have a lot of sky. There was one piece in there I had went to my first veterans retreat down in Destin on the seventh floor. I'm looking at the news and there, and and uh, they says, um, there's a tornado. Of course, silly me run and get my camera <laughs> and go out to <laughs> see if I could see a tornado, which I did see the water spout and above it, there was a perfect eye form. Hmm. I took it, I took the picture and I was like, Looked at, it, I said, "Wow, you know." And I see things. What I do is I take pictures. I see one thing, but then when I look at them later, I see other things. Yeah. And that kind of like gives me this sense of, okay, let me see what I'm gonna see next in this. So that particular picture showed an eye, and I I sent that one as well. I don't know if you have a copy of that.
1: Um, no, I don't. I, I only have the one of the red dress. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's the only one they display. Mm-hmm. But um, I sent several other pictures, and they were pretty much landscapes. Yeah, because w- what I did is I went through my pictures and I said, okay, what would go good on a VA wall, or what would, you know? And so I, I picked a lot of landscapes, Sunrise, I like to get up early and get a sunrise, sunsets, beautiful stuff. I like beauty. But what I find in photography most of the time you wind up taking a lot of pictures of people which, you know, I, I, as I go through my stuff I say I see people and I see their expressions and it's a lot um to to see different expressions. But for me, my biggest thing is and I had to learn a lesson from this, consume and take in pictures. Especially on a beautiful place, uh, wherever I travel, I try to find beauty, and just you know, I get absorbed to the point that I have to have someone with me because once I get my eye behind the camera, I, I forget about my whole surrounding. I just get absorbed into that, and it and it what it does for me, it blocks out everything else, which that's. Maybe good, maybe bad, but it blocks out everything else because for that time, my mind is focused on that picture or that scene. And so my pain, I forget it. I, you know, I just kind of block everything else out. I guess, guess I got a one-track mind, I guess you could say.
1: Do you find any any disciplines or talents or skill sets or anything that you learn from the military influencing uh, the way you approach art and photography.
2: Yes, I do. The military had a thing where they, you know, we strive for perfection. So with photography, I look at different pictures and I look for perfection. I look for content that will help somebody, or um, that's I guess that's why I'm so into landscapes because you know, especially at sunrise, how much peace it would give me. And like with, with the military, um, at some point I had all peace, you know, never expected anything to happen. And then all of a sudden it did, but I had comfort. I, I enjoyed my military career. I really enjoyed it. And so trying to be that working on a four star staff, you know, you gotta be top notch, um, kinda always dress right dress, you know, and so um I guess I have that expectancy in everything else now in photography. Even even with dealing with people, um, there's still that that wanna be that pride in my work.
1: Yeah, I like that. Are you still, um, do you still see um, any sort of counseling for yourself? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. Is it? Yeah. Where do you get that provided at?
2: Well, I uh, have two counselors. I have a counselor at the veterans, uh, at the VA here. Um, and I also have a counselor at the Vets center. I have a male counselor. And I have a female counselor. The Vet Center provides more like group-like settings, and so a lot of times, you know, when I'm really going through or something like that, I'll, uh, and I need to talk, I can. Um, I have regular counseling sessions with my VA counselor, but if I need additional time, he'll let me come in, and we'll discuss what's going on, and he'll try to direct me or help me one of my biggest things is failure. When I try to advance myself or when I try to do something and it doesn't go through, it and that failure part of it, it, it gets to me. So the counselor kind of motivates me and pushes me to let it go. And I do. When I go to uh, the vet center, we have uh, I have a counselor Janine there, and you know she just talks to me. What's going on, Deb? And you know and um, kind of let you get it out, as opposed to what I was doing, just stuffing, stuffing, stuffing. And the longer you stuff all of these feelings, the more it makes you feel worse and cause some other sicknesses. So I have learned that when I get really um, bogged down, anxious, or just can't feel like I can't go any further. Going to having a counselor to go talk to helps you to go forth. You know what I mean?
1: I'm curious with the with the, with the type of counseling that they can provide. Their approach to uh, to counseling you is there. Do you notice a difference in what you get from your female counselor versus what you get from your male counselor?
2: Yes. The female counselor, she's over the sexual trauma group, and she recognizes all of the stuff, you know, as a group of us, that females, things that we go through as females, she can identify closer. Now, my male counselor, he really, he goes into it all, you know. Uh, if I could say he deals more with um the overall counseling as opposed to just the sexual trauma. Got the it. female counselor she deals with I'm in her sexual trauma group. So we mostly deal with um what sexual trauma has done to me as far as I have this problem with um um uh, being being um non-submissive i guess people tend to uh, would uh, tend to use me in a sense and it was that part of me that i lost um that i don't have that fight i don't know if i am exp- i don't have that fight to if 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 you come to me with a fight instead of me fighting i'll walk away and just go shut down in my own shell hmm. And she she tells me uh, instead of me blaming myself for what happened, she motivates me by saying it wasn't your fault. You know, don't let it take you down. You know, she 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 presses more at the um, inner feelings that I'm having. Now my male counselor he gotta stay um, general. If I could say, overall, he deal with more of my pain. Um, how am I dealing with my pain? If I have any problems at the VA, he looking in my file, and he may say to me, "I saw you saw the doctor today, and what is that all about? What are you going through? How do you feel? How is it? How did they treat you? How do you feel?" You know. Whereas the female counsel more deal with. What the sexual
1: trauma does to me and how it shapes me'm uh a question I like to ask veterans is um is there one or two veterans in the veteran community that you particularly admire or look up to or are excited about what they're doing in our community?
2: I could say that I'm really excited about what the vet center provides for the community, okay. Because they always have some kind of outreach program or they always have some kinda of, um sponsor some kind of uh, wellness activities. Um they even go as far as to do things like take the the veterans out to, we went to horse therapy, which I never liked a horse, but I got got into that with my camera because (laughs) I could look in the horse's eyes and take pictures and stuff. So even though I don't particularly care for animals, I was still able to relate um, in the therapy. And then they go, um, like I say, photography therapy, and it gives you an outing where you would go out in the community and, and as a group of people. So I, I really um, think that a lot of people don't even know about the Vet Center and what they have to offer. But they're getting more out into the community and making themselves available for veterans.
1: Um, Deborah, I really appreciate you talking to my audience um, about what you experienced and about your artwork and um, and what you're gaining from your uh, your counseling, and, and most of all, thank you for your service to our country.
2: Thank you.
3: There are nearly two million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care, specialty care, mental health care, and women's health specialty care, such as advanced breast and gynecological care, maternity care, and infertility treatments. At each VA medical center nationwide, a Women Veterans Program Manager is available to advise, advocate, and coordinate care for women veterans. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855- VA Women or 855-829-6636 or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. For more information about benefits and other services for women veterans, visit www.va.gov slash
0: I want to thank Deborah again for coming on in the Battle way back, back in episode 22. I would also be remiss not to take this opportunity to mention that the VA has a Center for Minority Veterans. Their mission is to ensure all veterans receive equal service regardless of race, origin, religion, or gender. Dignity and an acceptable quality of life are the products we seek to deliver to all veterans, no matter their circumstance. In a post-COVID world, they have national summits, uh, and they also have a calendar of events that show what events they have. Again, this is all in post-COVID world. Currently, you can reach their coordinators and their staff a couple of different ways. You can email them at Vaco Center for Minority at VA.gov, but be careful. Cut off the Y. So the email is literally Victor Alpha Charlie Oscar Charlie Echo November Tango Echo Romeo Foxtrot Oscar Romeo Mike India November. Oscar, Romeo, India, Tango, leave off the Yankee, at va.gov. Or you can call them directly at 202-461-6191. Debra also mentioned vet centers many times during her interview. And I think it's a vet resource that doesn't get talked about enough. But vet centers are community-based counseling centers that provide a wide range of social and psychological services including professional readjustment counseling to eligible veterans, active duty service members, including National Guard and reserve components and their families. Readjustment counseling is offered at vet centers to make successful transitions from military to civilian life or after a traumatic event experienced in the military. Individual, group, marriage and family counseling are offered in addition to referral and connection to other VA or community benefits and services. Vet centers, counselors, and outreach staff, many of whom are veterans themselves, are experienced and prepared to discuss the tragedies of war, loss, grief, and transition after trauma. For more information about vet centers or to find one near you, you can find them at vetcenter.va.gov, and you can also listen to episode 164 in the archives of this podcast for a breakdown of what they do. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week was provided by VA's Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital media team honors a veteran with a short write up on all of our social media platforms and on blogs.va.gov. You can submit your own Veteran of the Day by emailing them a photo or I think up to five photos and a short write up about your veteran to newmedia at va.gov. Curtis Owens enlisted in the Army in 1985, competing in completing his basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. He then served with the 101st Airborne Division from June of 86 until February of 89, engaging in air assault training with night missions to prepare for wartime situations. In March of 89, Owens transferred to the 1st Battalion, 503rd Infantry Regiment in Korea, where he served until March of 1990 at the Distribution Management Center. Owens then deployed for Operation Desert Storm. In December of 1990, he was injured and returned to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where he spent time in the 31st Infantry and 2nd Battery Artillery. Owens then left the Army in 1992 when he EASed. During his time, Owens received two Army Achievement Medals and was also recognized as Soldier of the Month and Soldier of the Year. He currently works as a Veteran Career Advisor for the Veterans Employment Program at the Texas Veterans Commission where he improves the lives of veterans and their families by guiding their next steps towards successful careers. Army Veteran Curtis Owens, thank you for your service. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to me at podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born in the Battle Veteran of the Week. And with with that, that is it for this week's episode. Stay subscribed for next week as our featured guest is a good one. He's a retired three-star general. As a matter of fact, he's only one of six African-American three-star generals ever in the Marine Corps. On top of that, he served in the same billet with NATO as Omar Bradley, which technically should be a four- or five-star billet. Can't wait to bring you that episode. If you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app on a phone, computer, tablet, or a man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website blogs.va.gov and follow the VA on social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT. Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. You can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark McIlhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Siever, and Michael Duncan. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine guard bullets
4: fly, they down My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 762 round that'll cut them down in an instant. And a purple heart and a Russian made bullet in my back. Raiding down it, punching that clock Get them boys, I'm laying down. Machine burned. Bullets fly in my brain.
0: fight, do or die, another campaign. Here we go, lock and load. or 331. Lug a thousand rounds, and I ain't bringing back one.